You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. May God use and overrule my words. May God's word only be spoken and God's word only be heard. I bring you a reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, the middle of verse 20. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, At an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way through great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute, We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well-known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. When I was 20 years old, I fell in love for the very first time. I was in college at the University of South Carolina, and he was delivering medical supplies at a hospital where I worked. My parents did not like this young man, but I was smitten. And after we had been dating a year, he joined the Air Force and moved to Alabama. And when I graduated from nursing school, I was determined to follow him. My mom and stepdad objected for all sorts of very good reasons. They said I was too young, but I did not heed their warnings. I thought, what do they know? And I moved to Alabama anyway. I got a job and began to have my big adventure, and in less than two years, the relationship ended, and I was left alone and hurt and broke and very ashamed. And my stepdad said, you got yourself into this. You can get yourself out of this. But my mom never said, I told you so. She just said, I love you so. She wanted me to move home, but I wanted to find my own way, and I believed I could find my own way without any help. Of course, I needed help. I needed all kinds of help. I remember calling Mom and asking her if I could borrow money till payday, 
Isn't that why we call our parents when we're in trouble? I said I needed just $20. In those days, that was a lot. She sent me 100 in a Western Union moneygram. In 1976, that was like getting a million. My mother wanted me to come home for a visit, and she would plan a big dinner around my arrival, and I would begin the nine-hour drive with great resolve. And then along about Atlanta, I would lose my nerve, and I would call her from payphone and say something came up, and I can't come. You see, I wanted to see her, but I felt really guilty about leaving her. And she would say, I am sorry, honey, maybe another time will work out very soon. Be careful and remember I love you. Surely I hurt her, I angered her, but she never showed it to me. I remember even calling her when I knew she had a turkey in the oven for Thanksgiving, and I got about three hours from home, and I called and said, I'm really sorry, something came up, I can't come. She just said, come soon and be careful, I love you. Now I can see the ways that my mom showed me the love of Jesus. She could have badgered me, guilt-tripped me with all the ways I disappointed her. Maybe she knew my self-recrimination did all the criticizing necessary. She never stopped loving me, never stopped believing that I would turn, turn toward her again. Do you suppose my mom's faith helped her rely on the power of God rather than on her own power? One afternoon during this very crazy time in my life, she called me from the local Greyhound bus station about five miles from my apartment. Come pick me up. I wanted to surprise you. I missed you. You see, she had ridden a bus 23 hours to get to me. We had a wonderful visit for three days, and then she boarded the bus and rode 23 hours home. Only when I became a mother did I understand why someone would ever do such a thing. She was never angry or demanding. She just said, I had such a great time. I hope I see you very soon. I love you. She endured my selfishness. She endured the hard travel because she wanted to be with me. Now looking back, my mom's love saved my life. Ash Wednesday is a very uncomfortable day, I think. As I told some folks at Episcopal Place, it's like pulling back a curtain and running into a brick wall. It's the most uncomfortable day of the year. Our prayer book prayers remind us we are sinful and temporary. The ashes that were offered help us remember that we are mortal and our time is limited. I have a friend who lost her sister at age 42, and my friend told her sister before she died, if there is something you want to do, you better do it. All of us have lost loved ones too soon. Sometime or another, we've all learned that life can be hard and unpredictable and brutally short. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul's appeal is urgent now, but it's not demanding. He's trying to convince the Corinthians to get along, stop fighting, bickering, forgive each other, 
and forgive him, and now is the time to be reconciled with God through the gift of the cross where Jesus offers himself on our behalf. We all think we have more time to reconcile than we may have. It is the great unknown. And Paul didn't demand or coerce, he invited. Jesus doesn't demand or coerce. He invites us and he gives us a gift. Someone calls the cross the great exchange. Jesus takes into himself the ugliness of our sin and he gives us back new life. So Paul says, because of that gift, now, right now, we are becoming a new creation, having incredible, unimaginable gifts like purity and knowledge and patience and kindness and holiness of spirit and genuine love and the power of God. Paul calls these weapons the weapons of righteousness. We cannot manufacture them. Instead, we have to trust that they come by grace. As servants of God, we endure impossible affliction and hardship sometimes. Even when we're poor, we are rich, treated as dying, we are alive, punished but not killed, in sorrow, rejoicing. Even when we have nothing, we really possess everything, everything we need. That's who we really are, but the changes and chances of this life make us forgetful and sleepy, and the sickness of our sin lures us into self-righteousness and makes us blind to God's limitless grace. But as Eugene Peterson translates in John, the first chapter, verse 14, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And we learn that God's most powerful method of salvation is always being with us. As Sam Wells writes, in the passion of Jesus, there are really two miracles. One is obviously the miracle of resurrection. The other is the miracle of what Jesus did not do. He did not come down from the cross. He stayed there. He outlasted all the evil that we could throw at him. His perseverance showed us that nothing can separate us ever from the love of God. We're forever connected to Jesus, not through our achieving, but through his abiding, not through our striving, but through his suffering. And the good news of the cross is that love will not let us go. It's not hard to see our world is broken, and we are just as broken. I pray that it is enough to convince anyone how much we need a Savior. Evil is in full view every day, pushing us toward a breaking point. I read Jesus on the cross is stretched to the breaking point, fully human and fully divine. But the heart of our faith is that when Jesus was breaking apart, he never let us go, which tells us that in the heat of our agony, God will never let us go. God's love is reconciling us to him even in this moment and to each other, drawing us toward mercy and forgiveness and calling us to open our hearts and come home. Lent is really an invitation from our loving Heavenly Father to come home. He invites us to surrender the good and bad of our lives, the worry, the regrets, the fear, the sadness, the shame, the secrets to him, to deliberately lay those things down that stand in the way of us walking in peace and love with God and with each other. 
I could not see all those many years ago that my mom was inviting me home only because she loved me. I'm forever grateful that when I did not come to her, she came to me. The cross tells us when we find ourselves unable, God will come to us. It's a mysterious gift, divine love, undeserved and unearned. Our prayer today for Lent says, Almighty God, you hate nothing you have made. Our Father in heaven is waiting for us to come to him, ready to forgive us, restore us, and ready to be with us always. Let us pray. Grant, we beseech thee, Almighty God, that the words which we have heard this day with our outward ears may through thy grace be so grafted inwardly in our hearts that they may bring forth in us the fruit of good living to the honor and praise of thy name through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.